1: This is Jay Lockenauer, welcoming you to another installment of new books in military history. With me today is Vanya Bellinger, the author of Maria von Clausewitz, The Woman Behind the Making of On War, the famous treatise on military strategy by Karl von Clausewitz. Uh, Thank you for joining me today, Vanya. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the genesis of this book?
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Vanya Ftimova Bellinger. And as you can hear from my accent, I'm actually – I was born in in the country of Bulgaria – in, in Eastern Europe. Um, I'm a journalist. In, my background is in, in journalism. And um, I was so lucky in 2012 that um, the whole family archive and the whole correspondence between Karl von Clausewitz and Marie von Clausewitz fell into my lap. And uh, from, from this um, really interesting story, um, I wrote my book, Marie von Clausewitz, The Woman Behind the Making of One War. Um, and um, I also ended up teaching at the um, USAMI War College. <laughs>
1: Yes, I forgot to mention that you're currently the National Security and Strategy Visiting Professor uh, at the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, but apparently, it also says Professor of Clausewitz Studies on your on your door. I didn't know there was such a thing.
0: <laughs> no, there was no such thing until until I came. But um, it's um, sort of I always joke that I'm there to uphold the orthodoxy. I'm there to uphold Clausewitz. Um, it's it's in a way um, I, I I don't only I'm not only teaching at the school. I'm also researching um, new documents on Carl von Clausewitz. I'm working on a new book. So um, uh, also, I'm trying very hard to, to share my knowledge, all these new ideas that I, all these new things that I discovered. Um, I'm trying to share them with my students, and sometimes they're really helpful because I'm, I'm not a military professional, and I, I find a new new memo written by Carl von Clausewitz. Or some 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 something in the letters that keeps bothering me, and I, I I don't know what to do with this information. And I go and I ask some of my students, and they are like, they are colonels and lieutenant colonels, and that takes them about two seconds, and they say like, oh yeah, this is actually what Clausewitz meant here, or this is the idea that this, this is happening here, and I'm like. I'm like get a little bit angry because I don't I don't know those things, but I guess th- this was um, this is the idea why why I'm at the Army War College.
1: Yeah, this, I wanted to talk about that maybe later on in the interview about the U.S. military's fascination, appropriate uh, as it mm-hmm. might be, with with Clausewitz's ideas about uh, civil military relations and other other matters. But let's talk first about the subject matter of the book and and maybe explain a little bit more about the the sources that you you came across because it is. Fairly rare for an historian to – to uncover something completely unknown, in, you know the doc- documents that no one has seen before. How did that happen?
0: I, I always joke that I owe um, everything to George W. Bush, um, <laughs> and I'll explain the story. It's a little bit long, but um, uh, 2003, I I won a fellowship at the Free University of Berlin. That was for for journalism. Um, and 2003 2004, I was in Berlin, and that was the time of the uh, U.S. invasion of of Iraq uh, in Berlin, Germany, uh, if you remember, was against this war. There was a lot of debates. You, the political Berlin was exploding with with opinions. Why United States is going in Iraq? Um, what is happening, and so on. And that's where the f- that was the first time I heard the name Karl von Clausewitz and the the famous um, the famous phrase that war is continuation of politics with other means. Um, this is the time that I I went also to a seminar for um, journalism, war and peace, and so on. And then one of the texts that we studied there in that seminar was again on war. This is the time I, I bought my first copy around that time of on war. Now, fast forward, there was a couple of years I did different things. Um, then I, um, um, I came to the United States. Uh, when I came to the United States, I did not speak much English. So I needed to, um, to, to learn the language because as a journalist, I, I, I learn, um, languages by, by, by writing or by speaking. So I needed to, to find a program. I signed, um, I applied for program in military history. Um, and, um, this is, um, how I, um, heard, how I came back to, to, to Carl von Clausewitz, um, because in military history, um, Clausewitz, um, is this over oversized figure because of, of his theory, because of the, the book on war, um, and, um. It became with one of my professors, um, John John Coon, Doctor Kuhn, It became became kind of a joke between us that. I said, like, well, I'm gonna write someday a book about Marie von Clausewitz because uh, Marie actually is the one who published on war. Karl Cla- von Clausewitz never finished, never finished the book. So it became sort of like um, a running, a running joke between me and Dr. Kuhn. Um, and every time he will see me, he he will ask, um, so what's happening with Marie von Clausewitz's book? So, um, it, 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 among my friends, that became also like a joke. Vani is writing a book on Marie von Clausewitz, uh, and actually, I, I had to go and, and, and write this book. Finally, uh, 2012, I went to the um, back to Berlin to the German archives, and I wanted to see if uh, they had something. Uh, there, of course, there was nothing in, in the archives on Marie von Clausewitz, the but the archivists sort of felt really sorry for me, um, so they said like, well, ma'am, um, if you leave your email address and your cell phone number, maybe someday, perhaps, whatever, if something shows up, give you a call. Now I felt like that's that's about it. Um, I'll never. I should have kept my mouth shut and never saying anything about Marie von Clausewitz. Um, now, fast forward, like, just a couple of months in December 2012, I, I got this incredible email um, from the uh, from the director of the Prussian Privy State, State Archives, um, and in this email was, um, are you still interested in, in the whole Marie von Clausewitz thing? Because um, we just received the complete correspondence between Marie and Karl von Clausewitz together with some other documents. Uh, we just received them as a, uh, as a deposit. Um, what has happened, um, this is this uh, very uh, this aristocratic German family. Um, they decided to open their family archive and they gave it to the uh, Prussian Privy State Archive. Now, the the family, the Butler family, um, they are direct descendants from Marie's brother, Fritz von Brühl. Marie and Karl von Clausewitz did not have any children, so everything went to Marie's brother. And then Marie's brother did not have any sons, he had only daughters, and then the daughters had daughters, and so on. So the family name was lost. The, the name was lost. People basically never really thought to look for those papers. Not even I. I was not also not thinking maybe I should go and call back the family. Maybe I should look at the family tree and see who might have something. No, I was just just really lucky. Um, and um, Oxford University Press. They learned that I had those letters that I. Been working on these letters, and I was thinking to write a biography of Marie von Clausewitz. So Oxford University Press offered me a book contract, um, and then um, yeah, all these incredible things happen. So I sometimes I joke that I'm like Forrest Gump in this story. I just I just keep running. I just keep running. Like things just keep happening, and I'm just like relentless, and I just try to do my best. I just keep running.
1: I think that's an important lesson too for aspiring historians that it's it's both a combination of persistence, which is required, but also serendipity plays a huge role in how you define your topics and, uh, and obviously the, the availability availability of these letters is an important uh, important factor here. Um, she this brings raises the issue that you discuss in the book that in some ways Carl and Maria because of her aristocratic background are, are an unlikely match. I mean Carl has, has a fawn in his name but he's really from a lesser family yeah. whereas uh, Maria comes from a really eminent family.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, if uh, 18, 18, 1802 when they met, they came from two different worlds. She was uh, this granddaughter of Heinrich von Brühl. Um, Heinrich von, von Brühl was incredibly important figure in 18th century uh, Europe, he was the the prime minister of Dresden, uh, prime minister of Saxony, uh, the Kingdom of Saxony. If you um, ever been to Dresden, uh, this incredibly beautiful city. Um, when you walk, most of the buildings they were built during the tenure of, um, of uh, Heinrich von Brühl. Also, when you go in um, in the Zwinger, in the palace in um, in Dresden, and you see all these uh, nice marble uh, that. Marvelous section of uh, Renaissance paintings. They also most of them come um, they were from the time of Heinrich von Brühl. Now Heinrich von Brühl also um, kind of uh, almost destroyed the Saxon government. You know, like his expenditure um, ruined the, the Saxon Saxon's budget. So this is why he is like such a controversial figure. Uh, in a really strange twist of fate, Maurice Maurice's uh, father he went to serve in the Prussian, in the Prussian court. And he was the, um, he was the guy of, of the royal children of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, crown prince and later the king Friedrich Wilhelm III. This is the king who was so important for Clausewitz's life. He was, um, that, that, figure that played such a huge role in Marie and Carl's life. Marie actually grew up just um next door to um to this crown prince. Now Klausowitz, Karl Carl von Klauswitz on the other side, we know that this Fon, which is the lowest title, lowest possible title um in Germany, um, noble title, that was actually absolutely well fake. There's no, no way around that. Um, his father uh, wanted to serve in the army. Carl von family, they were Lutheran priests, Lutheran ministers and theologians. Uh, but his father wanted to serve in the, in, in the army. That was the time of Frederick the Great. Um, but, of course, to serve in the army as an officer, you had to be noble. And Clausewitz's father was not. Uh, What happened is the Seven Years' War, um, there was a huge casualties. The the Prussia took huge casualties. So Frederick the Great kind of needed to relax the standard and... um, Adopt, uh, adopt, uh, and also uh, accept um, officers who uh, for officers, people from the middle classes. This is how Koswitz's father became an officer, and after after because he tasted privilege, he, he saw how how many doors opened to him with this phone. He kept the title. And, and if someone will challenge, he will say, like, did I serve as an officer? Yes, I served as an officer. So the king knew that I'm noble. Like, are you going to challenge the king? But uh, we know from all the documents that Clausewitz was not noble. So when Marie and Carol met, they, they came from two completely different worlds. But at the same time, that tells us something about Clausewitz, that he had this incredible drive, this incredible ambition To marry this woman who was not his equal, Um, he wanted to belong to this elite. He wanted to belong to this world. Um, This tells us the the incredible drive, the incredible uh, ambition Clausewitz had.
1: So so your book tells the story of their relationship and it's really fascinating, you know, quite apart from the military history, but just the relationship, again, given the unequal status... um, they're both yes. intellectuals, uh, which could, perhaps was uncommon. Um, and the the way that you describe the relationship is – Please do describe it again for our listeners, but then also address this issue of do you think – she was exceptional? Was she representative of a certain kind of, of woman or their relationship represented now, a certain kind of possibility? In
0: the 18th and 19th century, aristocratic women, they were better educated, um, better prepared for this life, basically because there was this expectation that they should be able to help their husbands to to rise um uh, to rise in, in the military or in civil service. Um, so basically aristocratic women were very well educated with this, um, with this purpose in mind. But Marie was actually, um, even more exceptional than than this, because not only um, uh, her family was very well educated, had big dreams for her, but she was herself was very very interested interested in um, in the arts, in culture. She was a very political woman. She was a woman who lived and. Um, who lived for politics who lived to uh, know politics to influence politics to know people so that was like that was um a really her thing and of course this is something that drew klaus of was coming from the provinces he was this this officer from the uh, provinces who sort of never seen things like uh, like this and um Marie for some time she was not quite sure she wanted to marry him or if they wanted to she was not sure if she wanted to have any relationship with him not because of the money issue or the status issue um but because she kind of saw that she wanted to keep her independence, she wanted to be lady, probably lady in waiting, uh, which were well, these women they played also outsized role in, in the politics be- behind the scenes. So in, in some ways, she might have, if she did not marry Klaus, which she would have been would have been important lady in in that time. So she was not quite sure she wanted to marry him, but. What Clausewitz was so what was so interesting is that Clausewitz always treated her as his equal. He never uh, never tried to uh, diminish her role. Never tried to. Um, also uh, say I'm, you know, like I'm the man and like I, I'm the head of the family and so on. That was nothing like this. Now, partially because he really depended her, or depended on her, because he did not have any connections, he did not have um, knowledge how to count in these these circles. Uh, he did not know much about politics in the beginning of his life. Um, so th- th- this is this really interesting dynamic. And then he actually um, incorporated her in much of his work. He really relied on her. We have so many of the manuscripts are actually written in Marie's handwriting. Um not to say that he probably dictated many of the things, but she actually, especially at the end of their lives, she really wanted him to to get the attention, recognition, and so on as a as a writer, as a scholar. So she um, will uh, sometimes just go and like produce new new copies of his uh, of his writings because he was a really messy writer. So she will try to help him, and she was. Constantly, especially at the end of their lives, she really wanted him to publish on war while he was still alive. Like really, publish on war, get all the attention, get all the um, uh, all the uh, recognition, and go into politics. She really wanted him to to become either a foreign minister um, or play like uh, apply his ideas into real life and uh, kind of. Move Europe, um, you know, European politics. That's how she saw him,
1: and that's where she's particularly well placed because politics at this time yes. was essentially courtly politics, and that was where her and her family connections would have come in. So I think what I took out of the book, and you can correct me if I'm if I'm reading too much into this, but you know, the the kind of crude interpretation of Maria and the publication of the work in the past was that you know this great man wrote this book and. And then the wife, she, maybe she changed it. Maybe she meddled in the in the authorship at some level, um, and we need to figure out how much she kind of affected the work. But when you tell your story, it's clear that she's she's influencing it from the very beginning, and um, almost to the point of yes, co-authorship. But of course,
0: like let let me be a little bit clear. She of course was the junior partner. Kowalski was always uh, the big brainiac and the big brain and the the big ideas. Um, so, um, what we see is, Cosby wanted to be a writer like he wanted to, very early on he wanted to be, we have probably 1809, 18010 where he tries for the very first time to write something similar to On War, we have like very early manuscripts, so he wanted to to explore war as a phenomenon that, that was very early on in, on his mind, he wanted to, um, to work on these ideas but in, in a way he also understood the limits of, of, of um, of his own limits, and he knew that he needed someone to um, to help him develop these ideas. Clausewitz was really good when he. Um, Mostly he developed his ideas while he was debating. He needed someone to to debate. He wanted to hear probably the the sound of his voice, you know, and further his ideas. Um, That's why we also see in many of the manuscripts that he writes on the right side. Then he debates with someone, mostly Marie. And then he goes back and puts those ideas. That's why, um, and he puts them in a the manuscript on the left side to be incorporated in the main manuscript. This is why sometimes when you read on war, there is a passages that they swoop in and you're like, where did that come from? Well, this is of this really strange way Clausewitz wrote, this dialogue, this constant debating. So... Um, this is uh, when we see, and sometimes, you know, in their letters, you see how he's starting to struggle with some ideas and she kind of helps him develop them further. And, um, he thinks about this in, in very, um, intense way, but sometimes he cannot find his way and he needs someone to, to help him. And, um, also, he, he used her for, for research. Um, sometimes in one of the letters, he called her that she was staff officer, that she she was like someone that <laughs> basically was doing a heavy lifting, uh, like the, the, the routine work and so on. But she had also very specific ideas about on war and what on war is. And... Um, This is, um, there there is this, this whole idea that like Marie just basically did not know what she was doing when he died and she went and just published the work how it was. Um, actually, no, she had this idea. She did not, there was on purpose that she decided to publish the book like it was, um, because she realized if if she starts editing, heavily editing um, she might try putting her own ideas into into the text, this, this is what actually happened in 1850s with the 1850s uh, with the second edition of On War, where Maurice's brother, after her death Maurice's brother, Fritz von Brühl he published a, a second edition, um, and he fixed many of the grammatical errors and so on he fixed all these things but at the same time, he actually went to much heavier editing, and he actually changed um, some of the passages about civil-military relation uh, relations because he thought, like, "Well, Clausewitz got that part wrong. Let me let me help you, Clausewitz." So um, this is why she insisted on publishing the manuscripts the way they were found, because if people just cannot help themselves, this is like this is this humility. Like I, I would. Probably try to put my own ideas into the texts, uh, into the text if I if I'm uh, let uh, if if I'm allowed to. But then there is is the other idea that she had, and it was like it had to people had to be reminded this is unfinished text and. You have to debate it. You have to think about this text. It's not. Um, it's not like a Saint Paul's letters to the to the Christians. It's. Um, it's not the Bible. It's a text to be debated. A text to be uh, wrestled with. And she felt like if people if people um, question this text, if they debate this text, if they wrestle with this text, they probably. Will understand war better. They probably will understand this this phenomenon much much better. So this is this is why she um, she tried to uh, uphold this Clausewitz idea that um, theory should be uh, descriptive, not prescriptive.
1: Interesting. Um, there is another fascinating part of the book. I thought was. Uh, Witt's time in exile, when he's in the service of the Russians during the Napoleonic Wars, uh, focusing on Maria instead of Carl gives you a, a lot greater insight into kind of domestic politics in Berlin and what's happening, um, you know, in this this tense situation with the with the French and the um, and p- between France and Prussia.
0: Yes, um, she. I mean. Klaus is all the, the heroic part, you know, he is in, he is in Russia, he is in, in Vitebsk, he fights in Smolensk, he fights in Borodino, he sees Moscow burning, you know, that's like all these great things, while Marie is actually left behind and she sort of, she has to face the music, um, she has to, um, pay the bill for, for his, um, for his decision and um in many ways the the letters sort of tell us um how complicated the whole thing was like the um, and to explain to, to our listeners um, Napoleon decided 1812 to go to, to Russia. Uh, Prussia was on his path to Russia so the Prussian King had uh, two equally um, two equally uh, bad options either French troops are gonna march through, um, through Prussia as uh, as any as or they'll be, uh, allies, they'll march as allies, but he has to, um, uh, he has to give them, uh, Prussian forces. So, uh, a Prussian, part of the Prussian army has to go and fight for Napoleon in Russia. So this is Clausewitz. Um, uh, m- many, many of the officers, you know, that's what the king decided. We have to, you know, make our peace and go and fight for Napoleon. Now, thirty some uh, Prussian officers, they could not like this. Is was horrific idea that you have to go and fight or die, which was, um, uh, which was possibility, uh, uh, quite uh, a real possibility to die for Napoleon to uh, secure Napoleon's grip over Russia, over over Europe. Um, so many of them just basically not only resigned, because there was people who resigned and said, like, I just can't do it, but they resigned and they uh, left for, for Russia to fight for Russia, basically fighting against their own country, against their own countrymen. Um, and then we see how that plays into into the politics back home. Um, how this decision um, drives people, friends who used to be people who used to be friends, how they find themselves on the opposite um, on 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 the opposite sides, and it's it's very personal for men, mo- most of them, um, and. Uh, however, no one expected that Napoleon, that uh, the, the Russian campaign actually um, will end up so soon. Actually, like this is one of the things that I n- n- did not realize until I read the letters, that everybody expected this, this war will be for a couple of years. So sort of... Things went really, really quickly. Klauswitz um, um, uh, thought he's gonna be gone for, for a couple of years. Marie actually thought at some point that she will go and join him um, in Russia, and they're gonna stay in Russia forever. Um, yeah, so it's, it's 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 very interesting dynamic that we see um, in in this um, in this period.
1: In a, a very uncomfortable situation for the wife of a traitor, essentially, uh, and someone who's so closely connected yes. with the court has to face that, as you said, kind of face the music, face the mm. people uh, that your, her husband yeah. has betrayed. So um, one other thing, I, I don't want to get you in trouble, so you'll, you know, choose your words carefully, but obviously the <laughs> U.S. Army's fascination with Clausewitz um, has always uh, struck me, and I wonder if, as a, an instructor at the War College, what kind of insights you have you have there.
0: Um, now first I should because I'm a government worker right. <laughs> right now and I should say that those are my opinions and they uh, do not express the positions of DOD or the US government so these are my personal opinions, Vanya Ballinger. Um I I think Clausewitz's well, we, we all know Clausewitz is more quoted than, than read. And that's something that I constantly um, see every day, um, that people sort of just put one quote from Klauswitz and everything will be okay. And no matter if that quote, actually, sometimes I see quotes that, that have nothing to do with the text, but like people just like to put those quotes thinking like, I have Klauswitz here, I'm, I'm safe. So um the fascination with Klausewitz so this is one of the things the fascination with Klauswitz is basically the you know, you just put Clausewitz and everything will be fine, while people some often do not really understand what he was talking about. And then there is this... Um, so you can... the Part of the fascination is that you can read everything what you want to read with Clausewitz, in It's Like many people just read their own ideas in Clausewitz. And um, yeah, this is... And because the text is so well there there is this idea that the text is so hard and um un- nobody understands it and so no one's going to challenge you you know just put the clause with quote and everything will be okay because no one understands that text anyway so yeah uh, so this is this is one of the um uh this is one of the problems with Clausewitz. now of course you know um people like kind of sometimes my students are so afraid to quote Klausowitz in front of me because I I can slap them right away with uh, no that's not what he meant and in another text he meant this and so on so it's like really interesting dynamic in in the classroom um at the same time um and that's been my experience. If, if you give more context, if you explain the times and the ideas and the, the, the roots of the ideas better, actually, actually the students, they actually start thinking like, wow, he was actually a real officer. He was a guy who had this incredible experience. Maybe not a genius, but someone who had um, a real experience, incredible experience, and he fought long and hard on this idea. So maybe, maybe we can actually find something practical in in this text. So. Um, and then I, I I had several great papers on Clausewitz where people, like, took their freedom to, to go into the text, to debate the text, to um, wrestle with the text, um, and probably come to, to ideas that, you know, um, th- they will never come to them before. So this is... Um, I uh, I always try to go and read this text and try to wrestle with this text. Try to be more like Marie, like take take more from Marie to wrestle with this text, think about this text. And um, I had several really, really good papers coming from students that um, fought and um, wrote, uh, you know, and used with the way um, and onward the way it was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I mean that corresponds with my my experience too. I think you know there's good military history and bad military history and and bad military history, especially in the in a professional military context, tries to be too prescriptive. But I like this metaphor of of wrestling mm-hmm. of you know introducing under trying to grapple with the complexity as opposed to just looking for the answer and getting back into the sources. Mm-hmm. Of course, in almost every case, is, is the way to do that. So it sounds like you're fighting the good fight. It also can't be lost on you that um, that you are spending a few years at the war acad- at the war college and. Clausewitz spent the end of his life at the Kriegs yeah. Academy, which can be translated of course as or college. So you really are the 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 Clausewitz expert and maybe even in
0: Well, Oh uh, I I don't know about it. I'm not like I um I don't have his experience in, in war. Like I, I constantly see that I I, I have my limits. Um, but um I'm, i I hope um, I always say, you know, it's not only Clausewitz. Um, I, I talk always about um, Horst, um, uh Gerhard von Schoenhorst, who was Clausewitz's more. And Horst, um was the guy, when Clausewitz first went to um, to the military academy in Berlin, he almost failed it because he was not prepared like everybody else. So Schoenhorst is the guy who um, sort of, um, saw Clausewitz's uh, talent, took him under his wing, and Clausewitz, after that, graduated on top of his class. Surprise. When you have great mentors, that's what happens. Sean um, um, uh, his writings are not so sophisticated as Clausewitz's ones. Sean um, uh, was someone who was not, also not so sophisticated, but he had incredible vision and incredible um, ability to um, to open the doors for his students and um, come with ideas and connect people and network and um, he he is the father of the military reforms in Prussia so this is this is the guy who comes with the ideas um, for military reforms and so on so I always say if we want to have more of Karl von Clausewitz. People like Arnold from Klausversi have to have much more like Gerhard from Schaanhost. So um, yeah. I like hope maybe I don't know. I, I'm not that, but the, I I see in many ways Host and I hope to be to give my students the same feeling that the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. You can go and you can do it. And Yes. And just think hard on these questions and wrestle with these questions. And yeah, maybe something great will come out of it.
1: Okay. so this sounds like a good moment to ask you what you're working on now what's, what's uh,
0: another Clausewitz book <laughs> no um, <laughs> as, cement your reputation um,
1: as the Clausewitz as the
0: it, it was on. it was actually a, an idea for article it's basically Clausewitz's last campaign 1830 he seals his manuscripts of on war he seizes his work on war because he thinks that's going to be another major war in Europe this is the July revolution in, in France and all these things so I was thinking, maybe if I go, because Kwaswitz becomes chief of staff of the Prussian Army of Observation that he sent on the border and all these things. So I was like, maybe if I find, and the, many of the writings are still preserved from that time, um, if I can go in the archives and find his uh, orders or his memorandums, uh, military writing documents, and look at those documents and see if he is if applying his own ideas from on war in those documents his most mature ideas is he applying his own ideas or not to um to those complex problems um maybe that will be really interesting to see you know clausewitz the practitioner how he is applying his own ideas luckily for me like i said many of the documents actually preserved but then i found in 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 the German archives, again, uh, that's actually uh, most most of Clausewitz's memorandums uh, operational plans, and so on. They, they're also actually in in, in the archives. Um, so, um, yeah, I was so lucky to find them.
1: Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, one of the things I I do with my uh, my authors as well is find out what they're what they're reading because part of the purpose of this podcast is to introduce solid scholarship. You know. Uh, Solid military history to a to an audience that can be kind of overwhelmed with the schlock that gets published uh, in this field. So, what's what's something you think people should be reading?
0: I uh, recently I read a book that I really 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 liked. It's uh, Gregory Carlton and it's Russia: The Story of War. It's um, I was born in Socialist Bulgaria, so many of the Soviet movies and so on. That's like part of my my own life stories. So I really like um, Gregory Carlton. Gregory Carlton, he teaches at Tuft University. I really love this book because uh, he's talking about um, the role of war in Russian history. Now, if you think you're going to read like about big battles, that's not that book. It's not a big uh, about the big battles and so on or big wars and so on. It's more like how war or understanding of war and so on shaped uh the the russian society and the soviet society um and it's really interesting for me because i i've read many of these books as a kid you know we had them like the propaganda and so on in school but also many of the movies um and it's it's really interesting to someone who takes that knowledge, that cultural knowledge and military, like, basically military history, cultural history and infuses them and um, tells us about uh, the Russian society, um, how it was developed and how uh, the understanding of war um, shapes a society, shapes a state.
1: So this leads me to ask whether you have a favorite Soviet uh, war film.
0: Well, like all the kids, I I've watched the uh, the three tankers and the dog, so I guess that I'm. It's kind of child, like yeah. I I really like the the mornings here, quiet, uh-huh. um, which are for for a female squad, um, uh, women soldiers, um, and yeah, I like that much, very much. Well, maybe
1: you can send me the, the Russian titles, and we'll, we'll find out what the exact equivalents are, and we'll and post it on, along with the podcast.
0: Um, the, the Mornings Are Quiet. I think they, they had a remake. Uh, a couple of years ago, and it's actually with English subtitles, the okay. remake, so
1: you can watch it. I teach a class on uh, war films here at Temple, and, and um, I use Ivan's Childhood, which is one that's readily available yes. and widely known, but I'd be interested to to introduce some others. Well, thank you for your time, Vanya. It's been fascinating. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, thank you for your time.
0: Thank you so much.